If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we're, we're so glad that you're here. And one of the things that we typically do is we allow God's Word to speak. Um, we don't claim to be masters of it necessarily, but we desire to be students of it and let it say what it's supposed to be saying. And so we typically walk our way through a book of the Bible. And right now, although we are in the series, the Ten Commandments, it's not because we chose to do the series. It just happens to be where we are in our progress through the book of, um, of Exodus. And quite frankly, as a pastor, I've never done a series on the Ten Commandments. I've always feared it because I am an expositional preacher at heart. And some of this feels a little bit more like topical preaching. Um, and we have a couple of pastors visiting with us this morning. Everyone wave to the back there. Uh, they're from San Diego, just trying to be refreshed this morning. And I think as pastors, we understand uh, the difficulty of that because um, it just, it's so much easier to take, here's a text, and let's work with that. And yet, the Ten Commandments are, are all um, rooted in a text, in a context. And I think it's important for us to understand that the world doesn't understand the Ten Commandments. And we can't expect them to. And these, these words are given to believers, to the church, to, to, the, to the community, I should say, of believers, the, the Israelites. And so we need to come at it from that perspective. And so I just, just as a backdrop to our sermon today, I'm not preaching yet. This is just preparation. Um, <laughs> it, it's just to, to get the mindset that God has given these to us. And... Um, it's more than simply a, a list of commands um, at an institution or at a, at a state capital or uh, at some kind of, a, you know, um, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, wherever a judge would be, right? At the courts. There you go. I don't know. You, you lose words every once in a while, right? Um, but but it, it's for us. And let's just remind ourselves that as we come to this text, that God has something for us. So let's read the text, and let's stand together. We're just going to read the actual um, uh, fourth commandment, beginning at verse 8 um, through verse 11 this morning. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Lord, we come this morning seeking to humble ourselves before your word, allowing you to have the freedom to fashion and to shape us to be the kind of followers of Christ, Lord, that you've called us to be. And Lord, so we ask that what we are not, you would make us. What we know not, Lord, you would teach us. What we have not, Lord, you would give us. And Lord, as I stand here as your messenger today, may I simply be your mouthpiece. And may it be you, by virtue of your Holy Spirit, speaking through your word, Lord, that would fashion and change our hearts, Lord, to be conformed to the image of your Son. We ask this now in desperation. In your precious holy name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, quite frankly, when, when you think of the Sabbath, there's a lot of things that comes to your mind. I mean, depending on your context, depending on how you grew up, depending on maybe what country you're from, and there can be a variety of different attitudes toward just the, the concept of Sabbath. Some have grown up in the church, and quite frankly, the word Sabbath can mean boring Sundays, where as a child you were dragged to church on Sunday, and, and you had to go to that boring Sunday school class, and it was just like a day when you weren't allowed to do anything. You couldn't watch TV. You couldn't go outside and throw a baseball or kick a soccer ball. Um, you weren't, certainly weren't allowed to play PlayStation, um, no hanging out with friends. In fact, you weren't even allowed to smile. Uh, so there's kind of this negative side 
uh, from a perspective that we can have depending on our upbringing. Uh, For many, it's just an Old Testament practice full of rules and regulations, but completely unrelated to where you and I are living. And I think there's a lot of people that just kind of feel that way. And for others, it's a new concept. They haven't really thought about it too much. And so they're rather ignorant of what all the fuss is about. What is this Old Testament Sabbath thing? And probably the initial feelings of Sabbath is that it is somehow a restriction that some Christians follow. And let me give you a couple of illustrations. One of them is a little dated. You may not know this, but there's the wonderful story um, or movie called The Chariots of Fire. You may have seen it before. It really is a wonderful story about Eric Little, and he was a, an Olympic runner for, the, uh, for, for England, and um, he did the 100 meters, and he was world-class, and he was going to the Olympics in Paris. This was, what, 1924, and they scheduled the 100-meter heat on Sunday. And he said, I can't run. And his friends and you know, his fellow athletes and his coaches, they're like, what do you mean you can't run? Well, it's Sunday. I can't run on Sunday. That would be dishonoring to the Lord. He was convinced that this was something that would violate the Sabbath. Now, can you imagine? I mean, in our context where we have Super Bowl Sundays, where the Masters right now, which I have been watching, is about to finish up on a Sunday, where we just don't even think about it anymore. Here's a guy who's representing his country who has the opportunity to run and win a gold medal and says, I can't do it because it's a Sunday. And the world just scratches their head. They don't comprehend. Maybe after church today, you'll get a little hungry and you'll think to yourself, you know, let's go to Pleasanton and we're going to go out and we're going to go to Chick-fil-A. And you get there and you realize, man, the lines are really short today. You're getting excited, man. What's up with this? And you pull in and you realize they're not open. It's a good thing you didn't plan to go to Hobby Lobby too, you know, because then you'd really be in trouble. The problem is there's, there's a conviction among people that says, we're not going to do something like that on a Sunday. And the world is scratching their head. They're thinking, you're going to lose money. Now, friends, these are the things that maybe come to our mind. If we look at the Sabbath through the lens of restriction, friends, we are distorting the truth of the principles set up for us in Scripture. It's not all about restriction. Remembering the Sabbath is more about how we view and use our time than it is anything else. It's an issue of time. Does your time belong to God? Or have you embraced the attitude of the spirit of the age? I I like what, I shouldn't say I like, but this is what I found that Bill Gates said in response to the question, why you didn't believe in God. Here's what he said. Just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing. And so again, let's just read this fourth commandment one more time. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you and your son or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is in or within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I would like to suggest to you that the heart of this fourth commandment is is really bound up in the following statement. And consider this. It's a little long, but I hope you'll catch the idea. The fourth commandment is a call for God's people to thoughtfully embrace the divinely ordained rhythm of life and so be blessed. The fourth commandment is a call for God's people to thoughtfully embrace 
the divinely ordained rhythm of life, and so be blessed. In other words, there is a rhythm of life established by God that we need to pay attention to, we need to embrace, we need to live out. And in so doing that, that there will be blessings. And by that, I don't mean the health, wealth, and prosperity kind of blessing. I mean, simply by obedience to this, God knows us. He knows what breaks us. He knows what we need. He created us. And he's, and he's established a rhythm of life that we need to pay attention to. And so, friends, when we, when we think of the word Sabbath, literally it means to stop or to cease, to rest. It is the stopping day, the day on which one's regular work ceases for both the sake of giving laborers a break from their daily routine and also for the sake of providing a time to focus on God. So I would like to break our time down really into three sections, followed by a section of, I want to say, driving this home application. I would like for us to consider the Sabbath in the Old Testament, which is our text. And then I think it's important for us to move ahead having done that, to the Sabbath in the Gospels, because there's some unique things that are happening there. And then we want to kind of move into another arena, which is the Sabbath in the church, which would encompass the epistles and, and really where we are living today. And I'm, I'm doing that because I want us to see, first of all, not just the biblical theology of the Sabbath, but I want us to see that, that the Sabbath actually has some movement and some changes along the way because of Christ. And it will give us a perspective and an understanding of how we can flesh out this fourth commandment carefully and rightly and without kind of adding the, the, the baggage that often comes with churches trying to create a Christian Sabbath. So let's first of all consider the Sabbath in the Old Testament, the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Now let's remind ourselves in the context of what's going on, the Sabbath has actually already been mentioned. Chapter 16, that's where God tells Israel to gather up manna every day for six days. And on the sixth day, you gather twice as much. Why? Because on the seventh day, you're not going to be able to gather. Why? Because that's the day you're going to worship me. So it's already kind of laid out there in a seed Form. The concept of the Sabbath has already been established, but here, with the fourth commandment, God is going to set out a pattern and a rhythm for his people to follow. And this commandment is given to us in three parts. The first part, what are we to do? Secondly, how are we to do it? Third, why are we to do it? So let's first of all consider the what. We are to remember the Sabbath, and we are to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And we think again about the Sabbath. It's this idea of one in seven. That there is one day set aside out of seven where we are to pause, where we are to rest, where we are to focus on God. And so he says here, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So there's two things happening there. First of all, there is remember. And the idea of remember really has a double meaning. Remember what I just told you back when you were in the wilderness and we were talking about the man and what you had to do there. Remember what you heard then. So it's, it's looking back to something that was already said. Secondly, it's, it's a remembrance that says, now I want you to put this into action. I want you to implement this. I want you to remember this over and over and over again, a pattern that I am establishing. I want you to embrace it. I want you to remember it. Now remembering, friends, involves more than just our memories. It requires the total engagement of our whole person in the service of God. Now, remembering the Sabbath is, is kind of like remembering one's anniversary. I'm sure, be quiet, honey, that's not fair that you're laughing at me right now. If, if I said to my wife on our anniversary, honey, I, I remember that today is our anniversary. And that was it. That probably would not be a good remembrance. No, remembering your anniversary uh, takes dinner and flowers, maybe even jewelry, a romantic evening for two. So it's a, it's a remembering that has action. 
It's a, a remembering that, that says, this is important. I'm going to do something here. This is special. So in much the same way, remembering the Sabbath means using the day to show our love for God in a special way. It means keeping it holy or setting the day aside. So this idea of keeping it holy here is, is in order to keep it holy. We, we are remembering the Sabbath in order to keep it holy in order to make sure that it is a different day than all the other days, the other six. So I want, I want to make sure that we understand something here. We're not saying here uh, to remember the, uh, the Sabbath and to keep it holy. The keeping it holy means that, that we have to have some kind of like a, a spiritual euphoric atmosphere of holiness going on. Right? That's not the point. Although there is the reality of we need to be living holy lives and pursuing that, the point isn't somehow to structure the day so that everything is, is holy in whatever that means in our mind. It means God is saying, set this aside. It is different. It is distinct. It's unlike the others. When we say that God is holy, we're not just out there in the euphoric world. We're saying he is holy other. He is completely different and completely distinct from everything else. So in the same sense, to keep that day holy means there's something about this day that is special and I've got to keep it special, right? So the fourth commandment is given to prioritize the setting aside of this day and the words that follow will explain how Israel are to remember and keep the Sabbath set apart. So we move from the what now to the how. How are we to remember and keep the Sabbath? We are, first of all, and I think it's interesting here because it says, verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Let's not bypass something that's really important here. The first thing we notice here is that we're to have a healthy view of work. In other words, when God created man, he created man so that man could work. It's a divine gift that goes all the way back to the fall. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. We were made to work. The trouble is that our work has been cursed by our sin. And when Adam and Eve fell, things changed. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So now work becomes more difficult because of the curse. But friends, work is good. And the kind of work that is being talked about is labor, the kind of, uh, of work people do to make ends meet. In other words, work that provides for the family, work that puts food on the table or clothes on the back and helps the kids get an education. It's the kind of work that you're looking for. Hopefully you want to hold on to. In our context, that's where the money comes from so we can provide for our families. It's that kind of work. It's not frivolous activity. It's sustaining work. And so God has given us six whole days to fulfill our earthly calling of work. He's saying, look, you have six days that you can till the soil and buy and sell and build and construct and wash and clean. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So we must have a healthy view of work. But secondly, we are to have a healthy view of worship. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now notice it says to the Lord your God. God. In other words, unlike the other six days where man labors and works to provide for his family, this day is set aside to focus on the Lord, in particular to worship the Lord, right? To the Lord your God. Now in Leviticus, God refers to the seventh day as his Sabbath, emphasizing that the day belongs to him. So this is his day. This is, we'll get to it eventually, but the Lord's day. You must observe the Sabbath, he says. I am the Lord your God. The commandment is worded this way in order to emphasize Israel's relationship with God that it was special. You have six days of work, but there's something unique happening on the seventh day. And it was special because no other nation had this kind of relationship with their God. 
This was unique. I mean, you go to, go to places all around the world where the Jews settled, and you have the Jews pausing on the Sabbath, and the rest of the world is just continuing on all around them. And they all, they all know, oh, yeah, the Jews, they just don't work on the Sabbath. It's a unique thing. In Leviticus, we also read that the Sabbath day is a day of sacred assembly. That's chapter 23, verse 3. In other words, it wasn't just a day you set aside for yourself. It was a day you set aside where you gathered as an assembly to have corporate worship with God, all right, to the Lord. So stop your work and come together on this special day every week in order to worship the Lord. Now, the Puritans would say, you have six days for ordinary commerce, but the Sabbath is the market day of the soul. I love that. You know, you're working all week long trying to make money, but on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, you're coming together to work on your soul. There's still a work going on. It's a different kind of work, though. Thomas Watson says, on this day, Christians walk with God and take, as it were, a turn with him in heaven. So you got six days of work, 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 work. One day of, ah. <laughs> so it's a day when God's people are to meet with God, to place themselves under his word, to, to praise him for his faithfulness, to share the ceremonies and, and sacraments established by God, and to enjoy Christian fellowship. Now Watson continues, he says, the result is that the heart which all the week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the word. Now, of course, he's identifying the Sabbath there as the Lord's day. But he's saying on this day, this is where you come and, and you're, al you're allowed to, to place yourself under God in a special way and, and allow God to work on you and to melt those things away that shouldn't be there. So, friends, a healthy view of work and a healthy view of worship. And then he says here, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now one of the things we need to remember here is that this is not just about you. The decisions that you make about the Sabbath also affect other people. So if you are you know, the head of a household, which would have been a big thing under that kind of Jewish economy, you may have had sons and daughters and servants, female servants, livestock, even a sojourner who's there kind of working, all of them stop work. You don't say, well, my family's going to stop work, but you have to, you have to continue. No, this is, this is everyone. Why? It isn't that there should not be any work going on at all. Friends, animals still need to be fed and watered. I mean, I fed, well, I didn't feed my cat this morning. I'm sorry, did you feed the cat this morning? I'm not sure, right? But you're supposed to feed the animals, right? Midwives still need to help women give birth. They don't say, no, it's the Sabbath. Just hold on, hold on. No, it doesn't work that way. Meals still need to be cooked and served and eaten. So on the fourth, uh, the fourth commandment isn't prohibiting the kinds of things that are necessary to get through the day in an agrarian culture, but what the fourth commandment is prohibiting is this, duplicating on the Sabbath day any of the usual labors of the other six days. As if that is just another day. So people and animals will still need to be fed. Lactating animals will still need to be milked. Priests will still need to work within the sanctuary. But to the extent possible, all workers were to receive a day of rest. Now that's the, that's the how, and there's more things to say about this, but let's, let's move on now from the how to the why, because this is where we start um, getting excited and understanding what it is that God is doing here. The why then is verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I want you to notice, first of all, the Sabbath is rooted in creation. That's what we find here. This, this, day of, this is a day of rest because it is the pattern that God established in creation. He worked for six days and he rested on the seventh. That's in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Now, it isn't that God needed 
rest from his work. That would not be who God is. He doesn't tire. He doesn't wear out. But he set for us a pattern, a rhythm, that now he is wanting us to see is the framework that we are to live by. Isn't it interesting that today is Sunday and the whole world around us continues on, but they have experienced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Where did that come from? Just happen out of nothing? No, it, it came from creation. God established a rhythm. So God rested uh, and, and set for us a pattern or a rhythm for mankind to follow. It's that one in seven principle. Work for six days, on the seventh day rest. Because God knows our frailties and our limitations. He knows that our bodies need time to recover and be restored. He knows that we cannot just continue to work and work and work and work without rest. You know because you've tried it. In fact, after the Bolshevik Revolution, communism started to rise up. They tried to start a new kind of rhythm, and it was work for 10 days and rest for one. Um, I don't think you find that anywhere in the world today because it doesn't work, and that's what they found out. You can only do so much, and God has already established that for us. So friends, what we see here, what we must see here, is that this is a kindness that God has given us the Sabbath. You work for six days, work and work hard. But one day is set aside where you can rest from your labors and you can turn your attention and focus on worshiping the Lord. And isn't it interesting, right at the end of our text here, it says, therefore the Lord, what? Blessed the Sabbath. Now, it, it, that runs contrary to our, might want to say, haven't studied the passage. What are my opinions of the Ten Commandments? Let's go to the fourth. You know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Oh, drudgery. God's blessing does not equal drudgery. There's something about this then that has changed or morphed over time that results then in us thinking that it's drudgery. The Sabbath is a blessing to us all. It is a God-ordained day to rest from our labors and to focus on him. Now, the Sabbath is rooted in creation. But I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15. Here we have the parallel Ten Commandments that uh, Moses is giving in, in Deuteronomy. And it's actually just a little different as far as the why is concerned. So in Exodus, the why is creation. When we get into Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15, the Sabbath is rooted in Israel's freedom from slavery. There it says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So, hey, keep the Sabbath. Why? Because you were once slaves in Egypt. Just think through that, the significance of those words. You were slaves in Egypt. In other words, having no rest, no days off, no time to set aside for worship to God. But now in this new nation that God is establishing, you will have the blessing of rest from your labors. Now just think of the people who are hearing this. They've lived, you know, hundreds of years under oppression. Now they're free, and now they're hearing. We work for six days. Yeah, we understand that. But you have one day to rest and to worship me. What? What? We, we get a day off? Now, see, for us, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, there's Saturday, there's Sunday. Because we have no concept of the kind of oppression they were under. So when God is saying these words, this is amazing, welcoming news for a people who have known slavery. So friends, it's important that as we finish up our time with the Sabbath in the Old Testament, that we fully understand that the Sabbath was a gift from God, established to be a day of blessing for Israel, so that they could gather for corporate worship, they could rest from their labor, they could enjoy their new freedom. God never intended for the Sabbath to be a day of burden. It's not a day of burden. It's a day of blessing. So God established a rhythm of life, this one in seven principle, that we're able 
that we are to follow and to be so blessed. So that's the Sabbath in the Old Testament, the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Now let's move to the Sabbath in the Gospels. And when we come to the Gospels, there's something that we need to understand because the Gospels are in the New Testament. But the Gospels and the bulk of the Gospels are actually not set, I want to say, by means of framework in the New Testament. They're actually set in the Old Testament administration. So when you read about what Jesus is doing in his life, you're actually still in an Old Testament paradigm. That's why we find out that Jesus is going to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. It's not until Jesus goes to a cross and dies for our sins, it's buried, it rose again, that something new now takes place. The Old Testament, we want to say administration, transitions into the New Testament church trans uh, administration. You get the distinction there? So why I'm saying gospels here is because there's something that happens here that is really helpful. And what we find as we get to these Gospels is that there's a problem. What we find is that we get there, the Sabbath had morphed into something that God never intended it to be. And here's just a quick example of the implications of that. About 200 years before Christ, there were the Maccabean Wars. And there were some zealous Jews during those Maccabean Wars who would not lift up a sword to protect themselves on the Sabbath. That was how, they were convinced that that was what they, you know, how they should behave. And so they let themselves be killed rather than defend themselves. Why? Because the Sabbath had morphed into bondage rather than blessing. Now, let's think through this, right? Let's find out what happened here. Well, we can summarize it by this statement. The Pharisees, with good intentions, sought to fence the Sabbath so as not to break the fourth commandment. Right, when I say good intentions, they didn't want to break the fourth commandment. <laughs> and so what happens is you, you make some rules and regulations so that you don't get close to that commandment. It's like you know, saying to a child, you know, don't put your hand up on the stove. And you see the child kind of moving toward the stove. You say, oh, wait a second, we don't want this to happen because we know what's going to happen when that child's hand gets on the stove. So we actually start to put barriers around the kitchen so that the child can't even get to the stove. Right? And it's well intended. But, but what happened with the Pharisees is that their, their actual rules and regulations became equivalent to the law that God had revealed here in, in the books of Moses. So they added rules and boundaries and regulations so that it would be difficult for the people to violate this fourth commandment. In fact, in the Jewish writings called the Mishnah, there's 32 pages of close type what you would, uh, of, of regulations and rules, things you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. It, it, it makes for riveting reading if you ever want to do it. Maybe get it and put it aside on your bedstand so if you can't fall asleep, that will put you to sleep. Let me highlight a couple of them for you. Here are some of the rules and regulations. Question, can I write a letter on the Sabbath? Well, you can write one letter, but not two, because two would be work. Can I carry some straw on the Sabbath? Yes, you can carry straw on the Sabbath as long as it's not more than a cow's mouthful. Now, I've not hung around cows too much to know exactly how much that is, but I know it's not a lot. Can I shake out my clothes that, and rid them of lice? No, that would be considered work. So the moral there is don't come over to my house on the Sabbath if you have lice, right? If an oil lamp is dripping oil, I mean, all of a sudden, it's dripping oil. Can I place a vessel underneath it to collect the oil? No, that's considered work. Or you see the foolishness of this kind of stuff, right? But the goal was to say, no, we don't want to do any work on the Sabbath. All of these were established as tradition above and beyond the law given by God in the Pentateuch. And they were given to Israel to make sure they didn't break the Sabbath laws. Now, it's natural, isn't it, for men to add to what God commands. I mean, it's so natural that we find this happening in the Garden of Eden. Right, here, here's Adam and Eve, and they're told that they're not to eat of the fruit of a particular tree. And when, when they're interacting with the serpent, even, uh, Eve says, well, we're not allowed even to touch it. There it is. It, the, the command was don't eat it. 
And she's now adding, well, we can't even touch it. See how natural it is just to say, well, I want to I want to fence myself from actually violating a command. So it's natural for man to do that. But friends, that is ultimately what happens with what we call religion. Right? Man comes up with standards and regulations outside of what God has said and wants man to to follow them and to maintain them. And that is what the Pharisees had done but in an overwhelming and burdensome way. So when we get to the Gospels now and we get to Israel, there was this great weight of burden on the people as to what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And it's not long before he finds himself at odds with the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. I mean, you find it in Mark chapter 2. I think it's in Matthew 10, I think it is. But he supports the disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. They're violating the laws that the Pharisees had established and were now tradition. And Jesus is like, no, it's totally fine. I mean, remember what David did back there with his men when he came into the, into the temple. And they, you know, they needed some food. There was something merciful that was needed there. And then he, he, he supports the healing of the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. Why? Because there's, there's mercy here. So Jesus affirms that the Sabbath is a day set aside for doing good, whether through acts of mercy or even the casting out of a demon from a woman. Friends, we, we've never in the gospel see Jesus violate the fourth command. Let's just make sure we understand that. He didn't violate the fourth command, but he had no problem breaking with the traditions of man that through the years had been built on the Sabbath and eclipse the Sabbath for what it should be. And eventually he exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, man was around first and God breathed out the Sabbath for the benefit of man. It's a blessing. Not a burden. It's not supposed to be a day where you just feel guilty and guilty and guilty. It's a day where you're, you come and rejoice and you rest and you celebrate. Now, in confronting the Pharisees, Jesus went, it wasn't confronting again or complaining about the law of God. He was, he was confronting the traditions of man. And I think it's, it's interesting, if, you, if you've ever seen a, a boat... Um, maybe you've been to the, to the ocean and you see a boat maybe turned upside down or maybe you've seen it maybe in its dock and you notice all the barnacles that are on there. And what Jesus encounters here, in a sense, is this, is this upturned ship. We can say this, this you know, Judaism. And on the bottom are all these barnacles. And he's just going through and he's just scratching them off. And the religious leadership are going like, ah, we love these things. And Jesus is like, no. Let's, let's, let's get down to the, to, to, to the core, to the surface. Let's see what is true. And so what, what I'm trying to show you here as we go to the Gospels is that Jesus is actually seeking to restore Israel to the place where the Sabbath is truly that day of blessing. But it had become this day of burden. And so here we have the punchline, again, at the end of, uh, of Mark chapter 2. It says, so the Son of Man is even the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus talking about himself, that identification, son of man, is the expression he uses to identify his role. He's coming as the Messiah. As God incarnate, he decides the true meaning of the Sabbath because he created it. And again, this goes back to our understanding of, of how the Trinity works. We often think that the God in the Old Testament is God the Father. But the God that's speaking here in Exodus is God, <laughs> the triune God. In other words, Jesus was, was part of the establishing of the Sabbath. And he's coming back and he's making a correction to what he breathed out. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And add to that the fact that when Jesus came, he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. We find that in Matthew 5.17. What we find, however, is that Christ is the substance instead of the shadow. Colossians 2, 16, in talking about these various uh, 
days or, uh, or expressions that we have flowing out of the law, this is what Paul says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These, referring to all of them, are a shadow of the things to come. In other words, they're all, all these ceremonies are all pointing to the one who is coming. But the substance belongs to Christ. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is the substance, whereas they are the shadow. When it comes to the Sabbath, we're reminded that because of Christ, we are no longer working. Let me flesh it out a little bit more. Somehow trying to satisfy God by our empty works, seeking to please him so that we can earn our way into heaven. Trying to work. No, in Christ we have all been marvelously set free. And finally we have rest in him. We're former slaves who didn't even know that we were slaves. Who have been redeemed and delivered and finally set free. So friends, here's the question. Are we to obey the fourth commandment? And the answer is yes, with a big but in front of it. Yes, but hear this. We obey the fourth commandment recognizing that Jesus has transformed it. Now see, there's two issues that the Sabbath confronts with us. First of all, there's the issue of time. Who who owns time? (laughs) God says, I own it. Seven days, you get six, I get one. The, The other issue is trust. Because if I'm giving God that one day that he is saying is for me and is, is blessing, my sinful heart will want to find, figure out, well, I'm losing out. So am I willing to trust you, Lord, when the whole world around me is taking advantage, put that in quotes, of that extra day? And I'm coming to church, gathering with God's people. And they're making money, and I'm not. See the wrestling match going on here? All seven days belong to the Lord, so you are, are you willing to trust him and provide for your needs when you obey him by setting aside the one day to rest and to worship him? I mean, can you trust God to provide manna for two days on the sixth day? Can you trust God to make up for that lost work, that one day? Can you trust that this burden you're carrying is not your burden to carry alone? See, now our, it's, it, the problem is our perspective of the Sabbath has been so distorted, even in good churches, <laughs> because we carry the baggage of so much, especially in our American Christian culture, that the view can be so burdensome than a a day of blessing. Now listen to the words that Jesus gives in Matthew 11, 28. You've heard it plenty of times. But see if you hear the echo of the fourth commandment in Christ's words. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. So to get that, we're moving from the yoke of slavery to the yoke of Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So before Christ, we were slaves ruled by a selfish taskmaster and burdened down under the heavy yoke of bondage, desperately longing for rest. But when we turn to Christ, we take on a new yoke whose owner is gentle and humble in heart, and he will give you rest. And his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Now, see, one of the distortions we have is when we say, okay, you know, I came to faith in Christ. Now I'm free. You are free, but you're free to have Jesus as your Lord. (laughs) 
It's not you are free to do what you want. You're free now to have Jesus as your Lord, but what kind of Lord is he? He is nothing like the Lord you were worshiping before. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he wants blessing in the right sense, right? So that's the the Sabbath in the Gospels. Now we move to the Sabbath in the church. And although the church is never commanded to gather on Sunday, it quickly becomes the practice of the early church. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in just a minute. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, okay, in other words, we start to see the pattern. On the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, they're gathering together. In this case, they're gathering together for the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and verse 2, What we find here is Paul trying to prepare the Christians for a collection that he's taken up. And it says here, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside to store it up. In other words, this habit again about the first day of the week. There's something special about that day. And and then the Apostle John in Revelation 1.10 says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so we find these expressions. There's the Lord's day. There's the first day of the week. They both happen to be the same day. And we understand that the first day of the week is ultimately Sunday, okay? And I'm just trying to put all these things together for you to understand how this came to be. So the reason they began to meet on the first day of the week, Sunday, is because Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so they're celebrating on that first day of the week, Jesus. They're celebrating the resurrection. They're celebrating the gospel. And that pattern became the pattern of the church. And that's why we're gathered here on a Sunday morning. So the shift from Israel meeting on the Sabbath, the seventh day, which would have been from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night, now shifts to the church meeting on the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week. And this is the pattern, the language of the early church. So then we we need to ask the question, is the Lord's Day the Christian Sabbath? And again, we need to be careful how we answer this question. Let me say this. First of all, you can see it up there on the screen. Sabbath does not equal the Lord's Day. With Jesus fulfilling the law and also being the substance of the Sabbath, Christians are not bound by the ceremonial or dietary restrictions that were imposed on Israel. It may be best to say it this way. We celebrate Jesus Christ, our Sabbath, on the Lord's day. In other words, it's not about the day. It's about Christ. But the principle of a day still flows out of the rhythm of creation that God established for us. So the emphasis isn't about, okay, this is the Sabbath day, and I've got to now pull from the Old Testament to fill it in. No, this is the Lord's day, and Christ, being the fulfillment of the Sabbath, is the one that we worship. He's the one that we rest in. And he's the reason why we are gathered together. That's why in our church, you hear us say it. When, so, when, when the elder gets up during our announcement time, we usually say, hey, if you're visiting today, we just want you to know that we are here because of the gospel. We're not playing around with this. This is the reason we exist as a church. So we land the plane here recognizing that there are elements then of the Sabbath that that, that do continue on into the Lord's Day, but not the ceremonial restrictions and regulations, but the rhythm and the pattern that we find because of creation, as well as the wonderful reality of our redemption. Now, having said all that, it's time for your pastor to meddle, okay? Are you with me there? All right. So rather than do a COVID health check, we're going to do a Lord's Day health check. So you know, all of this is just helpful for us then to, to line some things out, to think through what are we doing with the Lord's Day. First of all, all these are going to be words that begin with P. First of all, check your pulse. Who is driving the rhythm of your life? Is it God, or is it something or someone else? My friend, that's a really important question. Is it your boss? Is it your drive for success? 
Is it that you're a workaholic and simply don't know how to stop and truly take a rest? Is it your spouse? Is it your education? Is it your fear of failure? Is it because you have allowed yourself to get busy and therefore you are preaching to yourself, I can't afford to take time to rest? And I think all of us are, you know, our, our toes are hurting a little bit right now because these are, these are not just issues that are out there that happen on us. These are issues of the heart. So friends, I ask the question again, who is driving the rhythm of your life? If it's not God, then who or what is driving that rhythm? And that's, that's something you need to identify and be able to articulate. Friends, God has created you with only so much strength and energy before you will start to neglect your body, to neglect those around you who you love and who love you, as well as to neglect your walk with God. And so, friends, this is a serious question that will have lasting implications. And I would encourage you to take some time to honestly reflect on who or what is driving the rhythm of your life. Let me ask you a question. If your boss this week welcomed you into their office and said, I've got good news for you, you are up for a promotion. And it's, it's a huge financial change. Now, I know you're a Christian, and we can work through this out, but it is going to mean that you're going to have to, you're going to, have to work on Sundays. But it's a, great, it's a great, great opportunity for you and your promotion. We know that you want to take it. How are you going to respond? Is the promotion so important as to throw, away, uh, throw a monkey wrench into the God-ordained rhythm of your life? Now, I've met some people and pastored some people that have told me I was offered this promotion. But I prayed about it, and I said no, because I still want to raise my family. I still want to participate in the ongoing function of the body of Christ. See, those are, those are really healthy responses, because they get it. And the second question, have you allowed your vocation to creep its way into your Sundays so that you are willing to miss out on the benefit and the blessing of celebrating the Lord's Day with the people of God. I mean, it just, it kind of slips out. It's that, it's that, that um, well, camel putting its nose under the tent. A little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit more, and then there's a hump that goes through. Before long, in your little six-man tent, you're sharing it with a camel. You've allowed the world, you've allowed your vocation, which is good, to spill over into the day that is supposed to be set aside for the Lord, Right? Are you willing to trust God that he will provide for you when you are embracing this rhythm of, that the Lord has established for you? Now, here's another question. Do you really have to work on Sunday, or is it a choice that you have made? Now, I say all that with a caveat, and I want to mention this caveat. There are some of you here today or watching who are part of our church who are in situations or vocations where maintaining the rhythm of creation is difficult. It isn't that you don't want to embrace the rhythm. It really is because of the vocation you're in. It, you can't. So I'm speaking here. One of the difficulties is, you know, for example, mothers with young children. I mean, of all the people in the world that need rest, we as men have no clue, but it is mothers with young children. And to be able to come to church and, and, and for, for their children to be able to go into a, a Sunday school class, which right now we don't have, or to go into kind of a nursery care so that they can ah, and enjoy. It, it's a challenge for them. There, there are people who are sick or are housebound who, who maybe cannot actually participate in the things that they would like to participate with. Or maybe people who have vocations like nurses or first responders or things like that, that that our society depends on. We don't shut down problems on Sunday. Things still happen. But you know, too, too much the church has gone out for lunch on Sunday complaining about how people work on Sunday. Yeah, it's starting to sink in, isn't it, right? Yeah. But friends, we realize that there are people that work. And there are people that, that have to work by virtue of their vocations. And some of, some of you work jobs through the night. In fact, I know someone, you're, you're here right now. You just got off work. And you're sitting there and you're like, Pastor, don't go too long because I'm just about to drop my head back. 
And you're fighting everything you can because you want to be here. We understand that. And, and, and praise God for you and your commitment. But most of us are doing the Monday through Friday thing. And we enjoy our leisure time and our, you know, our, our kind of lazy time. But here's what Scripture says, and I think it's helpful for us as we jump along here, and I want to take us to the book of Hebrews, and you know the passage well, Hebrews 10.25, but I want you to hear it carefully. It says this, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what's shocking here is that the neglecting of meeting together can become a habit. Laziness, other priorities, busyness, so many other things can contribute to our neglect of really allowing this this God-ordained rhythm to be a reality in our lives. But his exhortation is to not neglect meeting together, but encouraging one another. So here's a question for you. Who have you called recently to encourage them to gather together with the body of Christ on the Lord's Day? Here we are in our pandemic restrictions. Do people know that you care? Well, part of the caring is not, oh, we want to we have an attendance record that beat last week. That's for the birds. What we want is we want to see people settled with a God-ordained habit and experiencing the blessing of gathering together as the body on the Lord's day. That's the first thing. Check your pulse. The other ones are not quite as long as this one, okay? Almost as long, but not quite. All right. Secondly, check your priority. In order to truly prioritize the Lord's Day, we must rightly steward the other six. <laughs> Just think through that. God has given you six days. And in order for you to maximize that seventh day in a way that liberates you to worship Him and to rest, is what you do with those six days. How do you view your Sunday? Is the Sunday service something that you are just trying to get through so you can get on with other important things going on in your life? You're sitting on the edge of your seat because you have a tea time at 1 o'clock. Unless I join you. Um, but I mean, this is part of the problem, is that we, we, we kind of build things so tightly around what God is giving us to enjoy, that it becomes now the source of pressure rather than this wonderful delight. Do you tend to use Sunday as a catch-up day for the things that you weren't able to get done during the week? Now, friends, I want to be careful here. my, My purpose here is not to bind your conscience on some specific choice or action. My purpose here is to stimulate your thinking in in gospel realities, to say, is this wonderful day that God has set aside for us something that is slowly creeping away in our habit. And seek to recover it. And seek to prioritize it. See, this all comes down to the attitude of your heart. Do you really need to go to the gym instead of taking care of that responsibility you kicked over to Sunday? Why not go and take care of the responsibility and kick the gym so that you can have freedom on Sunday to truly worship and fellowship and enjoy what God has set aside for you. Do you really need to watch that show rather than go to the grocery store, which now, out of necessity, means that you have to go to the grocery store on Sunday afternoon? Look, I I am not advocating that if I'm walking in Safeway on Sunday and I see you there, you're walking in sin. Because I'm there too. My point is, there are choices we make during the six days. And if we say, well, Hey, I can do that on Sunday. Why why do you want to throw that onto Sunday and kind of take away time from maybe other things that you could be doing that would be a day to rest and a day to worship? Oh, friends, what is your priority? Check your priority. We need rest, physical, mental, spiritual rest. We need worship. I mean, the singing today was so beautiful and wonderful and, and drawing us to this holy God and to be singing among brothers and sisters, singing to one another, we're told, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but singing to the Lord. 
God has created this for our benefit, for our health, for our well-being, to, to, to fellowship with the saints, to pause and read and reflect and ponder on God's work. And you also need recalibration because God is saying, look, there's something here I want to work on. Oh, and you have time to ponder it. Are there some thoughts or habits or practices that need to change as they relate to the Lord's day? Is God driving the rhythm of your life? And are you making a point to steward Monday through Saturday so that on Sunday you can truly rest physically and in the Lord? Third, check your preparation. Do you take time to prepare for the Lord's day? Again, I just want to I just want to throw some questions out. I'm just trying to stimulate your thinking. And these are certainly not an exhaustive list of questions. Am I careful that I'm not staying up late on Saturday so that I can be fully engaged on Sunday? Do I get the kids showered and their clothes ready the night before? Of course, in our, in our house, my wife would get the clothes ready on the night before. And of course, you come in on Sunday morning and they're on the floor now, right? I mean, so you have to live with the consequences of your actions. But at least things are, I mean, as, as a husband, it's like, what are they wearing? Okay, they're wearing this, right? I can put them on. But it's all been ready. It's already laid out. Am I getting food prep done or cooking a meal the day before so that I can just heat it up when you get home? Now, listen, I'm not saying if you're cooking today, it's evil. I'm just saying these are things that you can be doing to make sure you're liberated and you're, and you're free to focus on the things that God wants you to focus on. <laughs> Do I read the passage that I know will be preached on Sunday so I can get it in my head and begin to reflect on what it means and how it might apply in my life? Guess what I'm preaching on next week, guys? Any, any, any thoughts, any ideas? You know, we usually say it's the next text, right? I mean, so you can just pick up your Bible and you can start pondering it. And you know what? You, you're fully ready to go. And you can say, Pastor, uh, you know what? I'm not sure if that was right or not. Why? Because you've already studied it a little bit yourself. Am I approaching the Lord's Day with thoughtfulness? Friends, it is possible that we can have the habit of the creation rhythm, but without its accompanying substance. That's why we need to check our preparation. We can go through the motions of setting aside the Lord's day, but our hearts are far from seeking rest and from worshiping the Lord. Now, I realize that this is a battle. And sometimes the battle is just to say, okay, I got here, Pastor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where you're all coming from, what the circumstances are. And some of you are just like, it's a, it's a challenge, man, just to, just to be in the body of Christ. And praise God for that. You know, and so you're like, well, this one, yeah, we'll, what the, you know, we'll have to work on that one. I'm just, but you know, continue, just think it through and just ponder, what can I do to prepare for it? All right? Next one, check your purpose. What does the Lord's day look like for you? Do you think it out? Do you have some kind of a plan? And it might change each Lord's Day. What would constitute rest for you? For some people, rest would be going on a hike. For others, rest would be, you know, sitting on a recliner. It just depends on, on the things that you're doing during the week. What would encourage you to grow in your walk? Could be taking time to, to read your Bible. Maybe read a good Christian book that will sharpen and stretch your knowledge. How about taking some time to reflect over the passage that was preached that Sunday morning? Maybe enjoying an afternoon or evening of fellowship with another family, another couple, or a group of people from the church. I think that hospitality and fellowship are all perfectly appropriate for celebrating on the Lord's Day. It's all part of rest. You know what it's like when you get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and you're able to talk about the things of God. And, and yes, there's some work involved in kind of getting things together and maybe some, some, you know, some refreshments and stuff like that. But you're just you're refreshed because you've been with God's people in even a, a smaller setting. The point is that when you submit yourself to the divinely established rhythm of life and make it a priority, you will see the need to protect it by being prepared and seeking to have a planned purpose. The final one is this. Check your praise. What reasons do you have to celebrate on the Lord's Day? 
Now, I just want to just drop back a little bit and say, why do we even come? And some of you would kindly say, Pastor Rod, it's because of your preaching. And some might say, well, that, I love the preaching, but the, the, the worship is also wonderful. And those may be good. But these are all means by which we direct our hearts to Christ. And so the praise is flowing out of what he has done for us. And so it's important that we preach to our souls that it is man who has distorted the Lord's day and is guilty of eclipsing God with his overbearing traditions. But God has established his Sabbath as a blessing. And as we've moved now into the church, this this Lord's day picks up on this rhythm, but it also picks up on the blessing And so we've got to be careful that we're not kind of laying down binding laws and regulations for the church on the Lord's Day, but we're seeking to encourage people to find their ways that reflect God's truth, to gather with God's people, to worship the Lord, to to get the kind of rest that, that God wants them to have. Remember the Lord's, remember the Sabbath, friends, and to keep it holy. Are we delighting in the privilege of the rhythm of life that God has given us? If not, let's work at doing that together, shall we? Lord, help us today. You are an awesome, incredible God. And Lord, we are so easily distracted by the thinking of the world to take what you have given as something beautiful and blessed and to make it something that is burdensome and a drudgery. Forgive us, Lord, of that. And even as we have sat under the ministry of the word this morning, our hearts may be challenged. We may be feeling guilty. But Lord, may may all those feelings be, be fashioned and shaped by the truth of your gospel, Lord, that you are you are in process growing us to be like your son. And you understand the entanglements of the world that that draw us away from what it is that you desire. And through the the ministry of the word, Lord, that that our hearts can can be realigned to your intention, to your rhythm, to this wonderful blessing. And Lord, help us, help us to, to, to embrace this, Lord. And to, to, and to be refreshed in our thinking about what the Lord's Day should be. Not just for us personally, but even as a church corporately. Lord, we offer you our... We offer you... Lord, just the, the, the sin that we have committed and ask for your forgiveness. May we come and not neglect the gathering together. But may we come and worship you, celebrate you, rest in you, glorify you, proclaim you, and be refreshed by you through your people for your glory. We ask these things now in your precious, most precious name. Amen.